Christy, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. You're a cardiologist and the director of Benzodiazepine Information Coalition, a nonprofit which educates people on prescribed benzodiazepines. And you were also injured by a benzodiazepine yourself. It's an honor to have you here today. Could you share your journey with us? Sure. So I, uh, my story with benzodiazepines starts in 2015. I was prescribed Xanax during a health crisis. I was having severe dry eye syndrome. It was very painful and I couldn't sleep. And I was prescribed just a small dose of Xanax to take at night uh, while we were trying to treat the eye issue. And I became physically dependent within a, f- a few weeks. Um, and at first I didn't know exactly what was going on. I thought I had, you know, some kind of a medical illness and my doctors put me through a battery of tests. Everything came back normal. And, you know, after that, the, my doctors treated me as if I was just experiencing anxiety or a mental health issue as I, my problems continued to grow worse. Um, finally, I ended up discovering on the internet that uh, the symptoms I were experiencing were related to the physical dependence on Xanax. And I was having something called interdose withdrawal because the half-life of the medication is so short. I was having withdrawal symptoms between doses. After that, I was able to get on a plan to taper off the medication. I used the Ashton manual initially as a guide. So I switched over to Valium because it's got a longer half-life and then I tapered off the medication. Um, and I wasn't prepared for how long it took. I, like, like I said, I was only on the medication for a few weeks, but it took me over three years to taper off with the Valium. And I was extremely sick and even disabled the entirety of my taper. I experienced up to 80 different symptoms. Um, Fortunately, I was finally able to become free of the medication. And today I'm three years off. It took me quite a while to recover. And actually, I still um, experience some symptoms related to the benzodiazepine. So I have um, something called protracted withdrawal. Um, but I, you know, I'm much more functional than I was during my taper days doing a lot better. Um, and then during my journey, I really, um, took up the torch as far as, um, benzodiazepine safety, um, got involved in advocacy. Amazing. I mean, um, when I first heard about your story, I, I was, I was pretty shaken and, and I've heard many stories over the years as, as I was sort of coming to terms with what's going on, but a three-week use to a three-year recovery is just quite staggering. Um, when did you realize that all your symptoms and, and the suffering that you'd gone through were due to the benzodiazepine? Yeah, so I began to get ill at around the three-week mark, and as I said, I didn't really clue into what was going on, and neither did my doctors, and so we thought I was having a tremor and worsening anxiety, and they um, were assessing me first a neurological condition. So I went through a battery of testing and that took maybe another month to get all the test results back. And when that was negative, it was like, you know, something's still going on. I got to figure out what's going on. And, um, I was being treated for, um, anxiety and I went to a neurofeedback session with a psychologist just in hopes that could, you know, help the anxiety that was going on. And she asked me to hold the Xanax for 12 hours prior to the test. And I basically went into florid withdrawal and in, in her office, I, all my muscles tightened down. I had tightness in my chest. I couldn't breathe. I was shaking all over. And I took a dose of Xanax um, in her office after she ran the test and all the symptoms melted away. And I was like, this 
this has got to be the answer. And I got on the internet and I found the website Benzo Buddies, which is a withdrawal forum for people coming off benzodiazepines, a support forum. And it described exactly what I was going through. And so that was kind of my light bulb moment there. Wow. I mean, just, again, even, even though I know what can happen, obviously I know from, from my own experience, it still, it still shocks me just kind of the gravitas of, of, um, of what this can do to people and how it isn't a clear cut answer off the bat, how we don't just go to the doctors and they say, Oh, it's, it's this. And we knew about this. It, it's really a process of, of discovery. When you realize the gravitas of what was happening, how, how did you begin to process that? What was the sort of the, the acceptance around what was happening and, and how did you, yeah. How did you process that information? Yeah. So, um, I will say there was probably not a lot of process going on in the, in the beginning because I was in full-blown crisis. And honestly, I remained in some level of crisis for the next, you know, four years, because it took me some time to get transitioned over to the Valley. And that made things better in the sense that I wasn't in that. I, I got to the point where I was going into withdrawal like four times a day between every dose of Xanax. I was trying to dose it four times a day just to keep it myself out of withdrawal until I could get switched to the, over to the Valium. And, um, so that, that was pretty much a crisis situation. And even during the taper, I wasn't really processing things, but I definitely did go through once I at least got on a taper plan, I went through the stages of grief and loss where I was really angry at first that this had happened and how could this happen to me? And, you know, how was I going to get out of it? And then sometime during the taper, I probably took a couple of years. I just was resigned myself to my fate and I reached that level of acceptance. But even three years later, I'm, um, you know, what's my physical health recovered in the first couple of months after, I guess the first couple of months after I got fully off the benzodiazepines, then my health started to very slowly and gradually improve. And once I finally hit a point where my physical health was well enough to focus on things, then I could really start to process what had happened to me. And, you know, I think I'm still processing that even today. Yeah. And that, that's a really um, interesting point that I haven't actually discussed with anyone to this point in terms of um, someone who's been in the same position, but I've, I've definitely found with my recovery that as, as the physical symptoms eased and I sort of felt a, a rebirth of life to some degree, I found that the mental symptoms were, were were more challenging to deal with. And I think it's because I then had that space to process what was happening and sort of realize in, in a broader term um, everything that had happened because you're not quite so much in that survival mode of just, I just need to get through the day. I just need to get through these symptoms and, and get to the night where I can then sleep and not be in pain or discomfort. Um, is, is that kind of what, has that been a similar trajectory for you where you've then found that the the mental um, sort of challenges to deal with were then more prominent as you recovered physically? Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of different. I would say the, first of all, I think survival mode is a really good term for it because that's that's where I was for a period of four years, which is a very long time to be just basically in survival mode and not able to do anything else. But it seemed for me, my mental symptoms were actually worse during the, the taper itself and maybe the first couple of months off. And those actually resolved for me fairly quickly. And by that, I mean the intense mental symptoms. I mean, I still experienced some low grade. Um, 
a kind of inner restlessness and anxiety that I think is still related to the damage to my nervous system from the benzodiazepines. Um, it seems like for me, the physical symptoms have, you know, lingered on a bit longer. Um, but you know, and people kind of go back and forth, like what's worse, the mental or the, the physical symptoms. And I guess it just depends kind of what stage of the process you're in. But yeah, I think everybody's different in that regard too. Yeah, absolutely. And what what were your sort of greatest challenges with this whole process and how how did you deal with those? So I think probably the biggest challenge is that, you know, I had a, a life when all of this happened to me. I, I was a wife and a, a mother. I uh, My daughter was four years old um, when I got sick. And so it was just devastating trying to um, manage my household and take care of my child. And there were, there were days that I just couldn't do it. And I had to have a lot of help. And that was really, you know, devastating for me to, you know, surrender some of my independence. And, um, but I, you know, I kind of rallied and I just, I was able to manage a lot of things about my daughter's, you know, school life from, from my bed, you know, there's a lot of things you can manage on an iPhone. It's obviously not optimal. I wanted to be in there, you know, hands-on type stuff, but, but yeah, that was just a, um, probably the biggest challenge was how it affected my, my life and my ability to function. Yeah. It's, um, I think you touched on it before when you said grief, there's, there's a sort of grief process and just suddenly not being able to live your life as, as you expect from one day to the next. And it, um, I think probably for us and most people that have gone through this is very sudden. It's a very sudden shift, a kind of 180 turn from a life that you're living and then just kind of out the blue seemingly, because we didn't know what was happening to our central nervous systems. Um, life just turns upside down. And I think that is, that's a kind of trauma in itself, I think, because it's, it's akin to any kind of accident or um, sort of black swan event that, that just completely interrupts your life and that yeah I completely um relate to that um how are you now how are you your three years um uh sort of off from Xanax and gone through this taper process how is how is life for you now and how's the recovery yeah so life is good um I so during my taper like I said I had 80 symptoms and I was bed bound at certain points, utterly disabled, couldn't drive, couldn't cook, you know, sometimes hard to even take a shower. Um, and that was especially towards the end of my taper. And like I said, over the last few years, I've spent just putting my mental and physical health back together. And I would say, you know, I've, by the first year off, I was doing really well. I was functional enough to be able to take my daughter for a week at Disneyland and, um, like I said, I still struggle with some things like fatigue and some inner agitation, especially in the mornings and kind of this um, electrical sensation. Um, people call it an inner tremor. Um, but again, all the symptoms have faded and I'm mainly, um, you know, functional. I get through a normal day, take my daughter to school. I'm, you know, working in advocacy. I do a lot of writing and speaking. So, so I really, even though I still have, you know, a few lingering things from the benzodiazepine I, I really can't complain life is good that's amazing honestly it's um it it's not easy within this sphere of, of benzodiazepines to, to always hear um 
the, the positive side of things because of how challenging it is. And I know that people listening to this, watching this, that have been through benzodiazepine recovery or going through it, um, that this will just mean so much to so many people that are in the thick of it. Um, I, I, this wasn't on my list of questions, but I just I wanted to ask you based on what you just said in terms of the morning element, because that's definitely um, a consistent thing that, that I found with my own recovery and from talking to other people. Symptoms are horrific in the morning. I've gone through phases where I feel like I can't move for the morning. And then by the evening, I sort of feel almost normal, often at midnight or 1 a.m. in the morning and then come back to 9 a.m. And it's, it's like all hell breaks loose. Um, can you shed any light on, on why that is? Yeah, so I, it's been postulated that it's just related to the body's natural cycle of cortisol and your cortisol levels tend to be heightened in the, uh, in the morning and that somehow the benzodiazepine is affecting the adrenal gland and, and that cycle. Um, and I definitely experienced that and still do to a degree, um, but I used to wake up in the morning with just kind of this feeling like I had toxic sludge running through my veins and I would wake up with a jolt, like I'd been shot out of a can and my heart was pounding and I was shaking all over. And it, and it's really not anywhere to that degree. I don't feel toxic at all. When I wake up in the morning, I just, I just feel pretty normal, but I, I'm just a little bit more keyed up than I was prior to my benzodiazepine experience. And I noticed that if I try to sit and do like a zoom meeting or a conference, you know, first thing in the morning, then I have trouble kind of sitting still in my chair. But normally when I get up in the morning, you know, first thing I'm doing housework and chores and I, I just don't even really notice it anymore. So that, that has definitely, um, tempered off a lot for me over time and it's totally manageable. That's, that's great to hear. Um, it's, it's been kind of similar for me as well. And, and again, hopefully anyone listening or watching this um, can take some reassurance from that. Um, how was it for you as a doctor realizing that there's this hugely common class of medications that are being prescribed worldwide, uh, but being prescribed without much understanding or awareness? Yeah, so I was really shocked by, by all of this because I went to Benzo Buddies and I found this huge community of patients who are basically marginalized and they're um, not believed that they're experiencing these symptoms from the benzodiazepines. And yet I was going through this exact same experience alongside them. And so I knew what they were experiencing was, was true. And the fact that these drugs are 60 years old and that doctors didn't seem to know anything about it. I mean, I can tell you, I did not receive any training on this in medical school that a benzodiazepine taper can be so difficult or that people can experience this protracted withdrawal syndrome. And it wasn't even in the warning labels until um, 2020. Our US FDA over here in September of 2020, they finally added a black box warning on the benzodiazepines about the risk of physical dependence and withdrawal and also noted that there can be protracted symptoms lasting 12 months or more. And that's, that's the first time that they've really said that after 60 years. It's just, this is crazy. It's really hard to wrap your head around how, how that's, that's been possible. And thank goodness that there's something there now, but you know, for, for those of us that were harmed pre that it's, it's difficult to come to terms with, like, as you say, they've been around for 60 years. We know that they were aware of problems, um, pretty early on and yet they were they were still being prescribed you've been on both sides of the doctor's table so to speak um 
I know that from my experience and from other people's experiences that there can be disbelief and just a re-prescribing of more medications when people go to their doctors uh, complaining of difficulties. Um, and either they know or they have some inkling that it might be the benzo or they have no clue, but they're clearly on a benzo and it's on their medical file. How, how can people communicate with their doctors about this when by and large, there's there's often this misunderstanding and, and then just, as I say, re-prescribing of new medications, which harm the CNS even further. Right. So it's, it, this is a very difficult subject because unfortunately, um, a lot of doctors aren't educated on the issues with benzodiazepine. So it's like the patient has to come in and educate their doctor. Um, I actually did a, a video talk on kind of tips for talking to your doctor on the a BIC YouTube channel. So if you're interested in that, definitely check it out. But I think in general, um, you know, it's good to be respectful um, to your doctor always, and then kind of come in with some information for them. Like I recommend the Ashton manual or information from either B- the BIC web BIC website or also benzoreform.org has some, um, you know, really good information that you can bring to your doctor and also kind of write out an agenda ahead of time, like of what you want to say. And, but in the end, it's going to be dependent on your doctor and you, you may need to change doctors, um, you know, until you find one that's a good fit and that is willing to listen because not all doctors are, unfortunately. And, and how was, how was your experience with that? Did you find that your doctor straight away, um, was understanding or did you find you had to change doctors yourself? Yeah. So I went, I went through exactly that process because my initial prescriber was actually um, the nurse practitioner at my um, primary doctor's office. And when I came back and said I was having trouble and that I thought, you know, this was related related to the benzodiazepine, they were like, there's no way that this is the problem. And um, she just pretty much sent me on my way saying, you can just taper off the Xanax in two weeks, or you could just stop it. No big deal. And, you know, I was already trying to reduce the dose and was making, you know, no headway and was having floral withdrawal symptoms. So that wasn't going to work. And so my next step, I thought, well, let's try to find a, maybe a psychiatrist. Maybe they know more about these medications. So I went to a psychiatrist I found in town and she treated me badly and just said she gave me a prescription for three new psychiatric medications. And then the solution to coming off the Xanax was just um, give the pill bottle to your husband and let him control your use. And that, that was my taper plan, right? As if I were just addicted and couldn't stop taking it, which, I mean, it it was basically the severity of the withdrawal that was keeping me from fully stopping the medication. Um, so I finally found a psychiatrist. I brought him a copy of the Ashton manual and he looked at it and he read it and he listened to me carefully. And he believed exactly what I was going through. And right then I knew this is my doctor. This is the person that's going to, you know, help me get out of this situation that I'm in. And he stayed with me for the the whole three years that I, I tapered off. So sometimes it just takes a little trial and error of finding that, that right doctor, but it, it, it was difficult because I was in a crisis and I needed somebody to help me. And I'm, you know, going around to all these people, you know, asking for help and it it took a while yeah and I think that's a really key point as well because I I know that when I look back on on um the moment that I kind of realized what happened and then was seeking advice around that um I I feel like my 
my brain and my ability to make decisions had been ironically so affected by four years of benzodiazepine use that it became increasingly difficult to then educate myself and be able to kind of take in all the data and and be very objective about, well, I've got one doctor saying this, I've got a website saying that, which at the time I wasn't even looking online. I wasn't even aware that I didn't even know what a benzodiazepine was. I first had the term in 2019. Um, and so it's kind of crazy for me to hear, hear you, someone who's got that, that kind of, um, validation of medical experience as well, going to your doctor, having an awareness, even being armed with information that you, you've sought out yourself and found, and yet still being met with kind of disbelief and then just being given more medications. Um, and it, as you say, it really does show that sometimes you just have to do trial and error. And again, for anybody out there listening or watching, um, just do what you can to find, find the right um, people to help you. And um, if you're a relative or a friend of someone that is on a benzodiazepine or is going through this, um, your support and your sort of extra objectivity, extra brain, extra eyes, extra ears, um, that can literally be life-saving because it's, yeah, it's a, it's a really tough battle to try and get the truth and find the right support with this. Um, maybe a difficult question to ask, but someone asked me the other day and I thought it was an interesting question, which is um, a bit of a perspective shift but are there any lessons slash positives that have come about through this experience for you yes I I definitely think so I think it's made me a better person it really um, made me think about my priorities I mean now I mean I think my family always was a priority in my life but I've just reframed it as it's really the the only important thing you know my daughter my husband my mom and sister and so um and then also, I think the advocacy piece has been huge. Um, I'm now a person that, you know, has a cause that they believe in strongly. I can't really, be, you know, before all this happened, I don't think there was anything that I really just would have stood up and fought for. And, and now it's like, I will never stop um, fighting to um, tell the doctors and the public reach awareness about the harms of these medications. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, it's it's not an easy question to answer, but it's very, um, I don't know, it's very humbling to, to hear the positives, that there are positives from this. And again, anyone that's going through the thick of it, it can be very, very difficult to, to imagine any positives, but I think they are there. And I think even just having a fraction of gratitude can sort of negate a lot of the suffering um, that's understandably there with, with the situation. How do you see the path ahead for change, uh, change in informed consent and change in support for those that have been injured? So I think one of my big passions is prescriber education, because I don't I don't think we can get anywhere until we have awareness of the issue and until the prescribers are educated because they're never the prescribers are never going to be able to give adequate informed consent until they're they're educated and, you know, we do have a couple of bills going on in the United States for informed consent. I think that's an important piece as well. Um, and, um, you know, that can even start today. I, I wrote an informed consent form that's on the BIC website that doctors can even use in their clinical practice um, now, whether it's mandated or not. Um, and then as far as support, um, you know, I'm working with a group out of Colorado that, um, 
Benzo Action Work Group, and it's um, basically doctors and also patients with lived experience and other healthcare professionals. And we're working on a peer support curriculum. It's going to be rolled out initially in the state of Colorado, but hopefully um, nationwide as well. And maybe it's a model that, you know, the rest of the world could follow as well. But uh, basically training patients and, you know, other family members that have lived experience with benzodiazepines, training them to um, basically be peer supporters for these patients who are going through this um, long withdrawal process. Well, that sounds incredible. And um, I'll make sure that we we drop the links uh, for people to follow up on these and um, find out more about um, uh, each of what you've just mentioned um, okay. with the release of this. Um, for anyone out there who's on a benzodiazepine or knows someone that is, what might be a good starting place for them, which actually sort of ties into what you're just saying, but what, where might be a good starting place for them to start researching and learning about benzos? Sure. So I'd start with the BIC web, website, actually. We've got a ton of information and resources there. It's applicable for both patients and prescribers. That's benzoinfo.com. I think the Ashton Manual is a good read to start with. Um, you know, it was written um, a number of years ago, so there's definitely been some updates and we have, you know, some of the information on the current tapering strategies on our website, but it's, I think it's, it's still a good coverage of basic issues with benzodiazepine withdrawal and the symptoms. And it's got some basic protocols to look at as far as how to taper off. Although, you know, uh, people end up, you know, adjusting it um, to their own individual needs. Brilliant. Yeah, we'll make sure we include that link, um, as I say. And it is just on that note, I, I mean, what an amazing resource for you and, and the others to have set up. Um, I got very emotional when I realized there was something called Benzodiazepine Information Coalition out there because after years of just not being believed and being told that it's in your head and you're over-dramatizing or over-sensitive and anxious and all this crap, basically, um, it was it was really really quite an experience to just sort of see the validation um, and, and to realize that there's a whole breadth and, and, and sort of wealth of experience and um, scientific papers and information um, from yourself and from other people. So um, it really is life-saving work that you're doing. And um, as a benzodiazepine survivor, thank you. And I'm sure on behalf of everyone who's gone through this, thank you for all the work that, that you're doing. Oh, you're welcome. I just wanted to say that site was put together and started by um, survivors and is still run by survivors. So, I mean, we really have the patient perspective in mind. Which is so important. And I think that's what makes it so valuable as a, as a resource for people, for doctors and, and patients um, and the family and support systems of, of the patients. Um, I think we'll, we're about to finish part one. So we're back in a second with part two.